0: honored to preach to you this morning. Take your attention to Daniel chapter 3. I believe that the Lord has laid a word on my heart that I want to share with you. I I will preach as long as it takes today and uh, we're just going to let God do what God wants to do and uh, hope that somewhere along the way that He just takes control and does what He wants to do Daniel 3, beginning at verse number 15. Very familiar passage of Scripture. The word of the Lord says, King Nebuchadnezzar talking to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He says, now if ye be ready that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made well. What what, uh, arrogance to say that I've made it and I made it well. He said, but if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And then he goes on and he says, And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Such arrogance and, uh that, listen, if you don't know anything, if you don't know this about me, I don't do arrogance. I don't have time for it. And Nebuchadnezzar is on full display with all of of his arrogance and piousness. Who is that God? Who is your God that He shall deliver you out of my hands? Verse number sixteen: Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, "O oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer you in this matter." They said, "We don't even have to give it a second thought. We're not, we're not, uh, we're not intimidated." by your show of force, and we're not intimidated by your arrogance. We're not even careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, if you do what you say you're going to do, then our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And He will deliver us Out of thy hand, O king. I like what they said. He is able to do it. He may do it. He may not. But one thing I know, he he will deliver us from you. Verse 18. But if not. Everybody say that with me. But if not. Be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which Thou hast set up. I want to preach to you for the next few moments on this subject, and it'll make sense in a minute. The enemy's worst is no match for God's best. The enemy's worst is no match for God's best. Would you put your Bibles down, your devices? Would you lift your hands to heaven right now? And would you ask God to impart revelation in this house? Would you ask God to impart it to us right now? Lord, we need a revelation of your word. God, we need revelation to hit us at our very core. God, we need revelation, Lord, to hit our minds, God. I pray right now under the unction of the Holy Ghost, Lord, that you would send your word forth and you would accomplish that for which you have sent it. God, let it not rest on deaf ears, God, but let it internalize in us. God, anoint us. Anoint our minds, God. Anoint our ears to hear, our, our hearts to receive, and our minds to understand what you are saying to your people this morning. And we will give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Now shout amen. And give God the biggest hand clap that you can give him this morning. You may be seated. It was July 14th, 1941, that Winston Churchill delivered an inspiring speech paying tribute to the rescuers in London after nearly nonstop air raids by Nazi Germany. In his speech, Mr. Churchill acknowledged the many challenges that Londoners faced as a result of the air raids, such, a, such as mass casualties and power shortages and broken railways. Yet, all Londoners carried on And no services were disrupted because, and I quote, as Mr. Churchill said, the courage, the unconquerable grit and stamina of our people showed itself from the very outset. Without that, all would have failed. But upon that rock, all stood unshakable. There was no doubt that Air raids would happen again. Londoners knew it, and Mr. Churchill knew it as well. But Churchill had the utmost faith that people would, and I quote again, that we will be ready. We will not flinch because we can take it again. You see, neither Churchill nor the rest of London had any delusion as to whether or not the attacks would come again, and they had no delusion and no, no misthought that the next attack would be any easier to withstand, and nor did they believe that somehow they could negotiate their way out with the enemy. And Churchill made it very clear, and perhaps some of the most inspiring words that I have ever read, and perhaps the most, some of the most inspiring words ever spoken, when Winston Churchill said, we ask no favors of the enemy, we seek from them no compunction. On the contrary, if tonight our people were asked to cast their vote, whether a Convention should be entered into to stop the bombing of our cities. The overwhelming majority would cry, No, we will mete out them the measure and more than the measure that they have meted out to us. The people with one voice would say, We have you have committed every crime under the sun where you have been, where you have. Encountered the least resistance, there have you been the most brutal. Then he said, it was you who began this undiscriminate bombing. We will have no truce or parley with you, or the, gri- the grizzly gang who work your wicked will. Then Mr. Churchill said, and he declared, and I quote, you do your worst, and we will do our best. He said, perhaps it may be our turn soon, or perhaps it may be our turn now. One thing that I want you to understand is that the battle was fierce. More than three months of near nonstop bombing from Nazi Germany had rocked Britain as well as the Soviet Union. It rocked them on their heels. Hitler was destroying Europe one city at a time with his unceasing and overwhelming attacks. Thousands of lives had been lost. Cities had been destroyed. For those who were lucky enough to survive, life would never be the same again. Vital infrastructures were being systematically obliterated as the bombings and the airstrikes continued. It would have been understandable had Mr. Churchill and the people of Britain decided that they were not going to continue to fight what most would have considered the inevitable. Many would have understood and history would have recorded it and we would have all read about it and understood had they said we are just going to raise the white flag and we are going to surrender because this fight is not worth fighting. Most of the world would not have judged them had they concluded that there are some things that are just not worth risking their lives for. There are some things that are not worth risking the lives of family and children. There are some things that are not worth uh, the the constant fear of not knowing if today would be the last day of my life. I know that my children's lives would be drastically different, but at least there might be a chance that they would survive if we would just surrender and give up. But they had a determination that would not allow them to give in and give up or surrender to the enemy. Mr. Churchill said it like this. It was because of their unconquerable grit that showed itself from the very outset of the bombings. Grit is defined in the dictionary as courage and resolve. It's defined as strength of character. It is passion. It is perseverance. It is stamina in the face of fighting. It is perseverance in the face of overwhelming attacks that come through or from rather the enemy. They were bulldog kind of tough. You might kill them in the end but once they get a hold of you that bulldog, that dog will roll you around in the dirt. He'll roll you around all over the place. He'll shake his head back and forth, trying his best to rip your arm or your leg off of your body because he is determined to get the best of you or he's going to die trying. He said, Mr. Churchill said, from the beginning of the fight, you showed a courage and a resolve that your enemy was not able to conquer and not able to over." Come because of your sheer determination. The enemy doesn't have a fighting chance. If they want to fight, then we'll give them a fight. He said, Let the enemy come at us with their worst, but we will prevail with our I'm talking to somebody here. Let me draw a parallel. You are here. You've come into this place this morning, and the enemy has tried its best to destroy you from every conceivable angle and on every conceivable front. Just when you think that you've recovered, recovered from one attack he blindsides you and there are new casualties and new damage that he wroughts in your life and just when you think you've gotten the best of him it seems that he gets the best of you. You feel like like raising the white flag and surrendering to the inevitable. You feel like you can't survive the next surge. You can't survive the next attack. You can't survive the next problem. You can't survive the next phone call. I just don't have any fight left in me. The enemy wants you to believe that he is too strong for you and that you are too weak for him. But I want to declare to you this morning under the unction of the Holy Ghost that the devil is a liar and he is the father of all lies. But you need to rise up in this place this morning and declare the word of the Lord over your life. Declare that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Declare that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Or when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. You declare over your life that I am more than a conqueror. I am. I will be the head and I am not the tail. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Declare if God be for us Who can be against us? I will not give up. I will not throw in the towel. You might come at me with your worst enemy, but through God, I'm coming at you with my best. Come on, somebody right now, declare that in the name of Jesus. Declare I'm coming at the enemy with my best. He may get the best of me every now and again, but I will prevail in the end. Feel the Holy Ghost in this place. Would you raise your hands right where you're at? And would you ask God just to send his anointing right now? Come on, lift your voice and pray. God, would you speak to me this morning? God, would you do a work in this place? (laughs) (laughs) Some of you are in this place today and you're sick of the fight you're tired of it you, you you just want out of it you just want it to stop you want the attacks to stop you're asking that God would silence the enemy and he would quench the fiery darts of the enemy that are being shot at you from every direction and I gotta sent this preacher here this morning to preach into you. I don't know why God gave me this I sat in the office yesterday and I argue with God god I don't want to preach this I don't know that it that it's really going to do really going to minister to anybody but God said me here. I couldn't get away from it, but God sent me here today and to tell you that he is just about to reach down, and he's about to silence the voice of your enemy. He is about to reach down, and he is about to stop the attacks of your adversary. He said, he still told me to tell you that you will prevail. You are more than a conqueror. The enemy has tried his best to get a hold of you, but God is fighting for you this morning. And if God before you before you, then there's no enemy in hell. There's no devil in hell that can stand against you. He'll try to come at you with overwhelming force and try to intimidate you into giving up. But no child of God in this place today needs to be intimidated by the enemy. No child of God needs to wonder and and fret on whether or not the enemy will take you out. God said he can't even touch you unless I allow him. He has no power against the child of God whose hand is upon them. Exodus chapter 1, we read of the Hebrew women, the king comes, the king of Egypt comes with command to the midwives that they were to deliver the children of the Hebrew women who were in captivity. And the king said, told the midwives that if they birth a child, and that child is a man-child. If that is a boy, if that's a a son to to that woman, I want you to take every Hebrew child that is male. Once it's delivered, I want you to take that child, and I want you to kill it. He said, I want you to eradicate. I want you to eradicate all the males of the Hebrew race from newborn status. I want you to, I want you to take them. And I, I don't really care what you do with them, but I want you to take their lives. And the midwives, the Bible said in Exodus chapter 1 that they feared God. And the Bible tells us that they would not obey the king but they saved rather than killed. They spared and saved the lives of all the male children that were born to the Hebrew women. Women. The king confronted the midwives when he realized what they were doing. He was very wroth. He was very angry. And he, can, he, he confronted the midwives and he asked, Why have you done this? Did you not understand my command? Don't you know the power that I have? Don't you know that I can speak it into law and I gave, you, I gave you a mission, I gave you a command and I expected you to follow it, but you ag- went against what I told you to do. And here was their response in Exodus chapter 1. The midwives looked at the king and they said, but you don't understand. You don't understand that the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women because they are lively. And when they go into labor, Brother Jerry, they deliver those children before we can ever get there. They, they they have so much toughness, and they've got so much life in them, and they've got so much grit in them that they deliver those children before we ever get there. So we don't even really, even if we wanted to, we don't even have a chance to be able to take the life of that that child, because they're lively, they said, they're strong, they're determined, they're courageous, they have grit. And somebody in this building today needs to get a boldness about you that will cause you to fight with renewed strength, that will cause you to stand in the midst of adversity. It would cause you to stand and face your enemy and look him in the face and say, You will not get the best of me. I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to take me out, but you will not get the best of me. Somebody in this place, the enemy's tried to kill you. He tried to, he's tried to kill your dreams. He tried to kill the dream of that child. It's a dream. It's something that you look forward to, something that 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 you desire. It may not be a physical child, but it's something that you desire for God to do in you and through you. And the enemy has come in since God gave it to you. I don't know who I'm pre- preaching to this morning, but I know I'm talking to somebody. God gave you a dream and God gave you a promise. And from the very onset, the enemy has tried to destroy that. The enemy's tried to cause you to lose faith focus of that and let and cause you to believe that it's never going to come to pass. But I've come to declare to you in the Holy Ghost today that God is going to bring it to pass. Every promise, every dream, every desire of your heart, God wants to bring it to pass in your life today. He wants to do it in your life. Shout, He wants to do it for me. He wants to do it for me. Oh, there's no reason to fear what the enemy can't do to you. Let me, let me, say, let me say it like this. Is that all right? If I, is it okay if I'm just real for a second here? We We act like and we're so terrified of what? the enemy wants to do to our future. We feel like God's given us a future. We feel like God's given us a promise, and, and we, feel like, we feel like God wants to take us someplace, but we're paralyzed often with fear of what the enemy wants to do and will do in our future. And we, 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 uh, we allow ourselves just to be wracked with fear and uncertainty as to what the enemy is going to do. Can I tell you that the enemy has no way of knowing what your future is? We spend all this time worrying. Oh, I hope the devil doesn't mess up the plans of God. I hope God, the devil doesn't mess up the, the, the dream and the vision that God gave me. The devil doesn't know. what you, He only knows what you tell him. He has no way of seeing your future. So stop worrying about it. Stop fearing it. Stop saying it's never going to happen because God has given you the promise. He's given you the dream, and he will bring it to pass. Come on, somebody clap your hands for that right now. (laughs) We give the devil way too much credit. I said we gave him way too much credit. (laughs) He's not omnipresent. He doesn't know everything. He can't see. He can't see into your future. He doesn't... He doesn't fear because he knows what you're going to be, but he fears you because he knows that God's hand's upon you. He fears you because he knows what God can do in you and through you. He fears that the, the very thing that he fears is that, that you will get the best of him. And if you keep holding on to God and you keep walking with God and you keep that vision in your mind of what God talked to you about or what God promised you, then God will bring it to pass. That's the thing that the devil fears. He fears what God can do. for Not what you can do, but what God can do in me you. That's what he fears. Our text, our text. we read about Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. They were governors over the affairs of the providence of Babylon. They weren't just ordinary citizens. They weren't just run-of-the-mill people, but they were leaders and rulers in that day. And our text finds that King Nebuchadnezzar had ordered a golden idol to be constructed. He called then at that moment for the influential and for the leaders in the government and city to attend the dedication of his idol. He told them that at the time that they were to hear the music play, that they weren't to they were not to, to, uh, to dilly-dally around. They were not to, 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 to do it slowly, but they were to fall down. And they were to worship the idol that he created. He said, if you don't worship, then I will cast you into the fire. Let me stop here and pause and tell you that the enemy has always targeted those who are in leadership and who have influence. Is this okay? The enemy's plan has always been to target and to attack those who are in leadership. And have influence. And I'm not just talking about the ministry, but I'm talking about moms and dads who you are leaders in your home and you have influence with your children and the next generation. The enemy's plan has always, always been to attack the leaders and to attack the influencers. He, if he can just get some moms and dad to give in and to bow when everybody else is doing it, he can influence them and not only them. but he can influence and get their children. He can disorient you enough through his constant barrage of attacks. He can catch you in a moment of weakness because he wants you to expect and to believe that you are simply out of options. But I've come to declare to you today that God, he let him come against us. Let him come against the leaders. Let him come against the influencers. But we will prevail. We will stand in the midst of adversity. We will we will be leaders in a home and stand and say, you have no right. You attack us with your worst plan, but we stand against you and we give you our best. It's not our best, but it's God's best as he works in us. Always. Always being his plan and desire. But our text tells us that certain men approached the king and told him, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, king, are refusing to bow as you have commanded. Nebuchadnezzar was enraged. He was mad. He was livid. He was red-faced. Anybody ever get like that? He was mad. He called for them. He asked them, he said, Is what I hear true? or what they telling me, is that, is that actually the truth? Do you not serve my gods, and do you refuse to worship my idol? He said, I'll give you one more chance, and if not, if you don't bow, then who is that God who will deliver you out of my hands? And then they responded, as we read in our text, he said, Oh God, we are not careful. We are not careful to answer you. But our God, who we serve, will deliver us. He will deliver us from your hand. But if not, if he doesn't do it, if he if he allows us to be cast into the midst of the fire, so be it. He said. They looked at the king and they said, "Give us your worst that you can possibly give us, but we know that we are going to give you our best." The Bible tells us that they were thrown in the fire, and it burned. It was so hot that it burned up and killed their captives because it was so incredibly hot. They were in the fire after being thrown into the furnace. The Bible says that the king looked in and he saw them just walking around and meandering in the fire, just having a good old Holy Ghost time. They were looking around and saying, God will get us out of this. That's, that's so unlike us. They were thrown into the fire. They are in the fire. Most of us, if we have to go through a trial or test, We're ready to throw in the towel and say, forget this. But here, they're in the fire, and they have the, they have the faith enough that in the midst of their disaster, they're looking at each other and saying, hey, guys, God's going to get us out of this. God's going God's to take care of this. I, I don't know how. I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how it's all going to play out. But God's going to get us out of this one. And the Bible says that when the king finally called for them to be taken out of the furnace because they were not being consumed, that they came out and their clothes didn't smell like smoke. Their hair wasn't singed. There was no harm to their body. Someone needs to stop worrying about the fire that the enemy has been threatening you with because he can't make a fire hot enough that can consume you. If if the hand and the purse purpose of God is on you then there isn't an adversary in hell that can stop you you may go through the fire but God made you for the fire you may go through the fight but God made you for the fight if you believe that clap your hands this morning shout god made me for this Daniel chapter 6, and I'm hurrying to a close this morning. Daniel chapter 6, we read the story of Daniel being cast into the lions. Daniel, you know the story well. That there were certain in that land that were jealous of Daniel and Daniel's position. And they knew that Daniel was God-fearing and that Daniel prayed to the Lord three times a day. They saw him do it. They saw him do it from his, his home. They saw that he would gather at the window three times a day and he would hit his knees and he would pray to the one true living God. And they wanted, they wanted to catch Daniel. They wanted to knock Daniel down a few, few rungs on the ladder. So they went to the king. They devised a plan and went to the king and they said, Oh, king, I, I think it would be good that if, if for 30 days you would write a decree that there would be no worship to any other gods but you, knowing that Daniel would never, ever hold true to that. So the king declared it and decreed it, and just like clockwork, after that decree, Daniel was found in his home on his knees praying to Almighty God. And those same connivers went to the king and said, did you not decree? And he said, yes, I decreed. But there's this guy, he's a a ruler, he's a governor in your midst and in your kingdom. And he is praying, he's been caught. And the Bible says that that the king despised, the king chastised himself for ever making that decree. And they said, "Well, did you not make it?" "Yes, I did." "Did you not say if they if they worship any other god that they would be cast into the lions' den?" "Yes, I did." "Then you have no other choice." So they bound Daniel and he was cast into the den of lions. Do you know why? Very elementary question, but do you know why they cast people into lions' den? so that the lions would eat them, so that the lions would destroy them. That was the entire purpose. Chances are, those lions weren't being fed too good or too regularly in order to keep them hungry, so that when they threw in their subject, the lions would quickly devour that subject. But when they threw Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel, an anointed man of God, a man whose life had the hand of God resting upon it, a man who was operating in the purpose of God, a man who had a relationship with God. When they threw that man in among the hungry lions, the Bible says that God sent an angel to shut the mouth of the lion. The natural instinct that existed was for those lions to rip Daniel to shreds. But I submit to you this morning that when you are anointed of God and you are operating in the purpose and the plan of God, you have a power to overcome the natural instincts of the adversary. I said that when you are anointed of God, you have the power, when you have the Holy Ghost resting upon your life, you have a God given power that will overcome the unnatural instincts, the unnatural devouring instincts of the enemy that that God has placed in their character. God sent an angel, a messenger shut the mouth of the lions. The lions could not eat this man. Why? Because he was operating in the purpose and plan of God. They were hungry. They probably smelled, he probably smelled good to them. I don't smell too good up here, I'm sweating. But he probably smelled good to them. But they couldn't touch him because God's purpose prevailed over the natural devouring instincts of his enemy. Hear me today. The purpose of God is always, always going to prevail over the natural instinct of the enemy to devour us. God's purpose and God's plan will always supersede the plan of the enemy. God's purpose and plan for your life will keep you from every attack. of. The, will the darts come? Yes. Will the bombs fall? Yes. Will the fighting ensue? Yes. But there is no enemy that comes against you if the hand of God is on your life. There is no attack that will be successful that the enemy can bring against you. So you go ahead. You go ahead and hop in that lion's den. You go ahead and you get in that fire and you hold your head high and say I may be in it I may be here right now and I don't understand it but I believe this God is going to bring me out the enemy can't do anything to me but God has come to shut the mouth of the adversary." Roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, but God silences his mouth. A devouring, hungry lion roars. He's a roaring lion in a cave of darkness. I want to bring this, I want, I want to bring this point to you today. That caves echo. You ever been in a cave? Anybody ever been in a cave? They echo. I went, I went to a cave as a, a kid down in Kentucky, and I remember standing there going, hello, 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 hello. I said, I'm an idiot. And it said, you're an idiot, idiot, idiot. They echo. They magnify your voice. They, your voice, the sound waves Deflect off the walls and the floors and the ceiling of the cave. It's hard to tell where the sound's coming from. It's hard to understand where it's coming from. Daniel's in this cave. And those lions are roaring at first. The intimidation. Trying to scare him. The echoing off the walls. Hard to tell where they're coming from. I hear them. I can't get my, can't get my bearings about me. I, where's that coming from? Lion wants me. Lion can smell me. I can't seem to pinpoint its exact location. Sounds like. I'm surrounded. Sounds like the enemy has encamped all around about me. Anybody ever been there? The voices, the sounds are coming from every conceivable direction. Because you're in a den and den's echo. Makes one lion sound like many. Makes one adversary sound like an entire army. Makes one fighter sound like a troop that has come against you. second point I want to make to you is that caves are shrouded in darkness darkness is simply the absence of light I know grown. listen to me, I know grown men that are scared of the dark anybody in here scared of the dark? (laughs) okay, I didn't think anybody would raise their hands, there's a grown man right there, no darkness is scary, people are afraid of the dark Afraid of what they can't see. Something about darkness. Darkness is terrifying. The absence of light is terrifying. I I love to deer hunt, okay? But one of my least favorite things is to walk into the woods with all the wildlife two hours before daylight with nothing but a little flashlight. Why is that? because every sound is magnified in the darkness. That twig snapping sounds like a tree falling. And you turn. What was that? I don't see anything. Don't, is there something? Is there something there? I, 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 I can't see anything. It's terrifying. Think of Daniel. Think about being in that lion's den. Think about being in that cave of darkness. God preserves my life. Great. But I just may very well lose my mind from the terror of the lions that I can't see. It was more than just terror. Physical terror of a lion ripping him to shreds. But there was also a mental terror of an adversary that he could hear that could smell him knew exactly where he was at but he couldn't see where the enemy was at there was no escaping voices in the dark can't tell where they're coming from If I could just see but because I can't see I don't really know how to defend myself against the enemy that I can't see the Bible says that God saved Daniel from the terrifying sounds and the terrifying darkness. And the lions could no longer roar because God sent an angel. You know what an angel? You know what the dev you know what it's talking about in Daniel when it talks about that angel? It's translated from messenger. God sent a messenger. To shut the mouth of the lion. Let me just go ahead and say it. God won't shut the mouth of the lion if you aren't close to, in right relationship with the messenger. God will not stop the attacks in your life, on your home, on your children. He won't stop the terror at night when you lay your head down to sleep if you aren't right with the man of God. God sent a messenger. And he shut the mouth of the lion. And Daniel was delivered from certain death. The enemy will roar and try to intimidate you. But the Bible says that your adversary, the devil, is as a roaring lion. Walking about, seeking whom he may devour. I've heard it preached from every conceivable angle. That it's not the roaring lion that you have to worry about. But it's the silent lion. That the the male lion... Is the, is, is the one who roars and puffs his chest out, tries to intimidate you with his voice. But it's the female who is the hunter who doesn't often doesn't make a peep that sneaks up on her prey to devour whatever it is that is going to be for her next meal. I don't know. I don't know anything about that. But I do know this, that it is intimidating when the enemy stands up and he begins to roar in your face and it's echoing off the walls and it seems like you're surrounded and you can't see where the sound is coming from. But you know he is is there but the bible says don't worry about the adversary he's just a roaring lion he's trying to intimidate you he's trying to give you get you to lay down and to give up he roars to try to cause you to be fearful of what he might do unto you but the bible says it like this but nothing by any means shall harm you that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world let, let, his, uh, let him make all the noise that he wants to make Because God is about to send a messenger in your life God is about to send an angel into your lion's den He's about to send a deliverer into the fiery furnace with you Let the devil roar all he wants to But God is about to deliver you You don't have to fear You don't have to lose another night of rest Fear has to go. Doubt has to go. Intimidation has to go. God, right now, I pray for this congregation by the authority of the Word of God by the power that is in the name of Jesus. I deliver you from fear. I set your mind free. I set your heart free. I cast down every high thing that would exalt itself above the knowledge of God. I cast down every false doctrine in the name of Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and I preach to you, if God sent me here to speak to you, maybe you are in the fight of your life and the lion has been intimidating you and he's been trying to take you out. You need to stand in this place today. You need to walk to this altar and say, you've you've intimidated me for the last time. You've come at me with your worst for the last time. If it's a fight you want, then it's a fight you you're going to get because I've got God on my side. And if God be for me, who... Can be against me. If God be for me, who can be against me?
1: The battle's not yours, it's the Lord's. It's not yours to
0: fight, let God fight for you. The battle's not mine, but the battle is yours. sister to link up to right now why don't you lay your hands on them just begin to pray for them pray against against the attack of the roaring lion come on find somebody to pray with this morning find somebody to link up with this morning declare the word of the Lord over their life greater is he that is in you no weapon formed against you shall prosper you are more than a conqueror There's no lion's den that can take you out. There's no fire that can take you out.
1: Come on, you're going to see victory today. Put your hands in this
0: place and sing it out. You good.
1: You, turn it for oh, good. you take what the enemy. You take what the enemy meant for evil. And you turn it, for good. turn it for good. turn it for good.
0: Come on, every voice, say you take what the enemy